You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 51, covering Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, with special guest Brian Lynch. Hello, people, friends. I still don't have an opening for this show. After all this time, we got the closing, we got Matt's uh, catchphrase, and I still just don't know. Hi, everybody! I'm telling you, it's greetings, fellow Klingons. No, it's really not. It is. I think you're thinking of a lame podcast. Yeah, I, um, you know. I think I'm on a lame podcast. What? Uh, Oh. Oh. Why did you say what? Did you not hear yourself? I don't even (laughs) understand that. What did I say? What did I say, guys? Was it a a sweet burn, at least? I'm not sure, because I've been having horrible connection problems. And if I sound like I'm down a well, it's because I'm recording from down a well. So, (laughs) just so everyone knows. That's where Amanda put you so she could watch True Blood. Yeah, she's in the next room watching True Blood. Um, and you're in the well room. Yeah, exactly. The the well wing. <laughs> See, this is why I don't understand why you guys are moving. You got that sweet well. <laughs> I know, and it's soundproof too, which is great because if you're ever trapped down here, you, then no one can hear you scream. <laughs> you're listening to the Well Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been obsessed with Orson Welles and the other show, so uh, it's only a matter <laughs> of time. The lotion on its skin or else it doesn't podcast again. <laughs> All right. Um, Put my dog down. <laughs> we know a remote well in the back of my house. Every July, hostages this grow is there. This is <laughs> every, every July, I have to hose it out. All right. So I've been trying to think of a way to sell, like, you know, this is sort of an end of an era. Like, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the, the original crew, but I was thinking of how to word this before, and it's like, well, this isn't the last time we'll see Shatner, or Nimoy, or Kelly. It's not even the last time we'll see Chekhov. It's not the last time we'll see Kirk and the guys. So well, this- actually, I would like to point out that uh, Kelly's appearance on Next Generation had actually happened by this time. So this was the last time America saw Kelly, but they did bring back Chekhov. So think about that. Well, yeah, but I'm trying to at least handle it in terms of this is the last time we're doing it, and we will... Uh-huh. In in two weeks, be seeing DeForest Kelly one last time, which is nice. Good point. But uh, yeah, you're you're right. This was his his swan song, which is weird because he was alive for another ten years after that, and you're just like, nope, not doing it anymore. I'm old. What do you want from me? <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. Okay? But I mean, I mean, Matt and I both are feeling this this feeling that this is the end of some kind of an era. But I really can't find a way to frame that to to make it make any sense. But well, it's uh, the last time we're going to see Nichelle Nichols. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Because no, and Lee Whitney. <laughs> well, <laughs> although technically, if we get to Voyager, Grace Lee Whitney was in that Excelsior flashback episode. So, well, no. that's something to look forward to. I've I am half inclined to just have Irish Gav read his then by then finished blog <laughs> when we get to Voyager and just have us not do it at all. But that's that's for another time. Now, instead, let's talk about, thank Christ, the fifth one wasn't the last movie, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, yeah, we all lucked out there. Yeah, damn right we did. The thing is, you guys might be too young to remember, but I'm not. I remember the the talk, and I remember the, the well, five, it said had final in the title. That means that's it, right? And no, we got to do one more. We got to do one more. We, have you seen five? We've got to do one more. <laughs> yeah. 
Good lord. And they got, you know, they got Nick Meyer back, and they got a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that makes for a good Star Trek movie back, and that's good. And it resulted in a good Star Trek movie. Absolutely. So, uh, Brian, why don't you start? Uh, We'll tell the people what we saw. Okay. We start our story with the USS Excelsior, where the dignified Captain Sulu sips tea while his captain's log plays. Both the log and tea are interrupted by a massive explosion, which seems to imply that they were happening at the same time, even though we see Sulu clearly not talking. Maybe logs are filed psychically, I don't know. Learning that the explosion has massively damaged Klingon outposts, the caring Captain Sulu offers his help, but is rebuffed. Then we spend several minutes on a subplot at the end of which Kirk and McCoy are sent to prison for some reason. (laughs) The patient Captain Sulu stands ready to assist them. After several more pointless scenes, the groggy Captain Sulu is awoken by Ensign Cameo and told to sell his friends out to Starfleet Command. The loyal Captain Sulu is torn. Because he is also the clever Captain Sulu, he tells the Enterprise where they need to go and then follows them there. They are attacked by a cloaked bird of prey but are able to find it using scientific reports filed by the diligent Captain Sulu. The Enterprise fires on the Klingon ship, which is then hammered into little bits by the badass Captain Sulu. The Enterprise crew stops some conspirators, and their ringleader is halted by the punctual Captain Sulu, and the ships ride off into the sunset together. Kirk asks him how he can be so great, and the reflexive Captain Sulu tells him that he has to be inscrutable. Very nice. Continuing the tradition of of, uh, most of our movie guests taking the perspective of, uh, well, usually the villain, but in this case, the hero. In this case, the, uh, the, the true hero of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Dear Brian, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice the stirring rendition you did on the latest post-atomic horror. My yes, I'm a congratulations. fan. <laughs> I assume he is. Well, why wouldn't he be? All well, right, my, man. My, I, my we best. follow him on Twitter, so he listens to our podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. Of course. Oh, my our podcast. podcast is it now? It is at the moment. <laughs> Very well. You know you're invited anytime. I just had to call you out for that. Aw, shucks. Um, anytime that you Gav or Bob or other people aren't here or that, you know, <laughs> we just want to do it by ourselves or, you know, but any of those times, that's fine. <laughs> any, anytime you ask me, I'm welcome to be here. Yes, exactly. Um, all right, Matt, you go. All right. <clears throat> so the Enterprise is what? Oh, excuse me. The Excelsior, Captain by Sulu, finally, Woo! is on some sort of mission where they observe the Klingon, the Klingon moon exploding. Because in Star Trek, planets and moons just explode all the time for no reason. Uh, if this is true, we should probably be keeping a closer eye on the moon, you know, just in case. Anyway, uh, their empire collapsing. The Klingons begin. Matt is a poop. Brian, I am trying to work here. Go find your own Google Doc to ruin. Uh, excuse me. As I was saying, the Klingons. You left that in. I did leave that in. Right. It, it looks better in text, I got to say. I was curious how this was going <laughs> to play out verbally. As I was saying, the, Kling- the Klingons being being in peace talks with the Federation, and Spock selects Kirk and the Enterprise to deliver the ambassador. Kirk is understandably uneasy about the whole thing due to a lifetime of war with the Klingons and also the fact that they killed this preppy bitch of a son. Dinner with the ambassador, Gorkon, his extremely classic Trek-looking daughter, and loudmouth fan of Earth literature, Senor Chang, goes about as well as can be ex- expected. But the, af- but the after party, wherein the Enterprise fires two torpedoes at the Klingon ship, and then two seeming Starfleet officers board and, as- board and assassinate the ambassador goes even worse. Kirk surrenders, and he and Bones travel to the Klingon ship to help give help. Bones fails to save the ambassador's life, and the two of them are arrested. Back on the Enterprise, a murder investigation is ongoing as Spock tries to piece together what the hell happened. Meanwhile, Kirk and Bones go back, are taken back to Kronos and sentenced, in, yeah, and sentenced to a life on, the prison, on a prison planet. 
and the and president of the Federation, Clarence Bodeker, arranges new peace talks with Gorkin's daughter at an undisclosed location. With the help of a sexy, shape-shifting alien lady, Kirk and Bones escape the prison planet, but not before discovering that said sexy alien lady was part of a conspiracy linking Starfleet, the Klingons, and the Romulans to keep peace treaties from going down. Conspiracy, which also involves Spock's new apprentice, Valeria, who should be Savic, except that Gene Roddenberry has no idea how drama works, the smug jagoff. The Enterprise, now aware of the facts in the case of the Gorkon murder, speed towards the peace treaty in the hopes of stopping the assassination of Clarence Bodeker. They do so, and the peace treaties go off without a hitch, just like everyone who watched TNG knew they would. And with that, we say goodnight to the original crew of the USS Enterprise. Good night, Bill. Good night, Leonard. Good night, DeForest. Good night, Jimmy, Michelle, and George. Go fuck yourself, Walter. I always hated you. <laughs> Again. Amen. Well, yeah. And now me. Oh, man, remember the Soviet Union? I said this a bunch of times throughout the series, but the original Star Trek did Cold War allegory really well, which is why this story, the Star Trek version of Chernobyl, Glasnost, and the Fall of the Berlin Wall, not only works as a good Star Trek story, but also as the final story with this entire cast. It also deals with what seems like a very sensible and human issue to me, this crew's inherent racism against the Klingons. Look, they're the bad guys, and we've been at war, or at the very least at the brink of war with them, since Chris Pike could talk without beeping. And enemies in war, well, they're sometimes painted with a broad brush, especially if they've murdered your children. I like that the underlying story here is that a bunch of old people who are set in their ways realize that racism is bad. But Gene, well, the great bird of the galaxy, as no one called him, was so horrified by the prospect of his beloved characters having any kind of internal struggle, personal growth, or, you know, conflict, that he literally dropped dead rather than see this movie. And then Nick Meyer, in one of the most badass, spiteful moves in the history of spiteful moves, actually dedicated the film to him. Oh, and if the score of this movie sounds familiar, it should. Its composer ripped off the music we use for our credits. We won't sue Paramount, though. They're just doing this for fun. <laughs> that, as Matt is fond of saying, is a callback. <laughs> Son. No, you're not my real dad. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, good movie to finally go out on. Like uh, Definitely really solid, like, ties into Next Gen, but not in a contrived way. No. Uh, nice uh, political drama, which I think they hadn't done in any of the movies previously, but the, the series always did well. Just it's, it's kind of like, I, I got the impression this is the movie that um, Star uh, Star Wars Episode One wanted to be. Yes. Like, Star that. Wars Episode One tried to do a lot of, like, trade embargoes and, like, backroom political dealings, and it really failed at it. No, I'm, I'm fascinated by sci-fi sci-fi politics and this totally nailed it where star wars one did yeah the, the the thing is about this is um for, first of all i don't want to get out the george lucas pinata if we could please no but, no, uh, no 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 <laughs> i think the there's whole other podcast that. for that yeah exactly there's see also the rest of the internet but um but also i mean you know I, the, the whole star wars star trek comparison in general like you're right you're, you're absolutely right that that does hold up but for the most part i don't I don't really understand people that try to compare the two. Yeah, yeah they're different they have things. star in the name, but they're yeah, they're entirely different. Things. But no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that's a that's a, a wrong observation at all. Um, mm -hmm. The strange thing for me rewatching this is I was reminded. First of all, I was reminded how good it is. I always forget that this is a really solid movie, and, and each yep. scene just kind of kicks your ass and leads right into the next one, which kicks your mm -hmm. ass again and. Oh yeah, the flow of the movie is incredible. It really is. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when you when you really stop and think about the plot, and you really try to pick apart the the actual conspiracy, there's there's some holes. And I really don't want to dwell on that because 
uh, the, you know, it's one of those, the, the whole is much better than the sum of the parts. And yeah, but I, I, I did just want to say that you know, there's, there's some things that are really contrived to make all this yeah. conspiracy stuff work. And, you know, I, I prefer a, bit, a script that's tight and everything holds together, but it's still pretty damn solid. So, but a script where you don't notice the holes until it's over is kind of just as good. Oh yeah, no, yeah. this happened on the third or fourth viewing. Like this is the movie. This is the Star Trek movie. Apart from the one we're doing next week, this is mm-hmm. the one that I've seen the most. I watched this on VHS until the tape wore out. I just, I, I adored it. Yeah, I think it might actually be my favorite of the original series movies, even more than Wrath of Khan. I could see that. I could see this being, um, you know, somebody's candidate for for good for best yep. movie. Yeah, I think, like I said, like like just the flow of it's great, and I like that everybody has something to do. Um, as has been noted on this very podcast, as soon as Kirk is out of the picture, suddenly they're a team. Yep, and that continues to happen. It's got to be deliberate because it keeps happening. Spock gets in command, and all of a sudden, then it's like next gen, where we're all around a table and we're all contributing ideas. Well, what is exactly. everyone? What's everyone else's opinion now that that friggin' asshole's gone yeah exactly. like check off check off what do you think yeah. i think something racist no. <laughs> okay well that's why we don't ask your opinion and i mentioned this last week this movie is really when i first because i watched everything out of order this movie is really the first time i realized i hated Chekhov because so- every line he has is just horrible comic relief he doesn't add anything to the plot he doesn't know basic things about the way the ship works just he's yep. really racist like yep Everybody else is like, oh, I don't like Klingons, oh, this, oh, that. But he's like, he makes fun of Dex's feet. Yep. Yeah. Like, a... he finds these boots, uh, for those that have not seen it, and goes and lacks all smug about the uh, person whose locker they were found in, and it turns out the guy's got, like, giant alien feet. Yeah. And he's like, why don't you put these boots on, <laughs> foot guy? It's a nice little cousin Balky sound uh, <laughs> voice there. <laughs> Get out of the city. Sto- <laughs> we are so happy we do the dance of joy. I've actually occasionally in, in my life used that awful Chekhov. Perhaps you are familiar with Russian epic of Cinderella. If shoe fits, wear it. Just, ugh. The, the all-time Chekhov moment in the movie has to be when he, um, uh, when they're having the dinner party with the Klingons, which is a great scene. And he says, we believe that all species have uh, inalienable human rights. Right. Within. Not only does he say human rights, yeah. but nobody said anything that led into it. It was just like a lull in the conversation. No, there was no context, like, and he just jumps in with that line. It's, for it's no like reason. he's been sitting on this for like the past 20 minutes, just waiting it's, for the chance to say it. And finally you know, the what, conversation dies <laughs> enough to, oh, you know what I think. It reminded <laughs> me of the old uh, Frosted Flakes commercials where Tony the Tiger would clearly be lurking behind some bush or something, waiting for someone to say the word good. Yep. So then he could jump out and say, no, 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 they're great. Do that. It wasn't even what I was talking about. Well, yeah, it would, no, but it would actually be like that if nobody said the word good. Yeah, that's true. There was not even If he just waited great. for them to stop talking and jumped out and said they're great for no yeah. reason. <laughs> and everyone just kind of, <coughs> hmm, okay then. And otherwise, it's such a good scene with the Klingons, like, not understanding human, like, table manners. Yeah, and there's some nice physical comedy there, very, very subtle, where they're looking mm-hmm. at the silverware and they're not really understanding how humans eat and yeah but they're trying to be and diplomatic. like the, the humans put their napkins on their laps and chang just kind of like drops his there like yeah. oh that's where it goes okay there we go okay i'm doing good also well, chang maybe the learning. least klingon sounding name i've ever heard well yes it's not a good movie for klingon names because the the chancellor's daughter is azadbur that's true and as matt as matt pointed out she does look very sort of old schooly 
like original series Klingon woman. Which well, she's got cool. that oh, yeah. slathered in eye makeup look to her, and like the robe. Yeah, who was it? Hat. One of the one of the classic uh, Trek uh, uh, Klingon captains. I don't remember which. The one in uh, I believe it was Day of the Dove. Uh, oh, and his Klingon uh, woman yeah. with him when they're running around the ship and they're chasing that thing that makes them hate each other. Mm-hmm. Sure, the hate ball. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking <laughs> about—the glowing thing in, in, in the in engineering where they ended up having to laugh at it to make it go away. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that's Day of the Dove. But he had he had a woman who looked a lot like her with him, and mm-hmm. they were kind of equals, and it was a cool thing. Yeah, and she gets to be the chancellor, yeah, which... which is weird because in Next Gen the Dura sisters can't be because they're women. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Well, they're the Dora sisters. Let me get this straight. A nitpick in Star Trek? I know. I won't have it. Well, and you know, again, you, you know we don't do that. It's just there's there's certain things. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Dora sisters in this movie, um, can we talk about Klingon blood? Please. Um, okay, so there's the scene where uh, the assassins are going around the ship and they're shooting all the Klingons and the Klingons are bleeding all over the place. Right, there's a, which there's is a, really... the, the, the torpedo shot disables their artificial gravity so everyone's in sort of free fall, which is, it, I mean, it's a great setup and it's something we don't see often in this yeah, show about space, which is never done anti-gravity or yeah. weightlessness on, um, exactly. on Star Trek before. Yeah, and it makes all the blood fly around, which is really cool. And due to a combination of, uh, I guess it was uh, not wanting a too harsh of a rating mm-hmm. by being too gory and also it's setting up a plot point later uh that wound up being deleted well yeah uh, but klingon the, blood is is visually distinct the, just yeah klingon just on blood sight. Is, exactly and so the blood is bright purple right except for every single other time it appears in star trek well now ever. you gotta you gotta remember when this aired next gen was into season three or four 1991 would have been like season three i think mm-hmm uh, so Worf true. probably would have bled a bit by this point. So this already would have contradicted existing stuff. But I doubt they would have made a big deal about what color it was. Well, that's true. Yeah. So even if it did contradict, I feel like they should have just settled on, all right, now Klingon blood is purple. Now let's yeah. stick with that. No, but there were a few is... times where he very clearly bled red because I noticed it. Because like, no, this should be purple. Mm-hmm. Well, and the one I always remember is in Star Trek Generations uh, when uh, Malcolm McDowell slaps Lursa or Bator, whichever Doress is which. Yeah, and she's got a little no. uh, speck she's of blood. Like, yeah. yeah. No, that should be You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's cool. Great. I think it's yeah. cool that the, the aliens a, have different cover of blood. It makes sense. It's like, another it great way to make them sort of visually distinct from humans. Yep. Yeah. And, of course, uh, in the uh, subplot where it turned out that the Klingon uh, assassin wasn't actually a Klingon, right. they knew that because he bled all over the floor. Exactly. And also because someone waved a triple at him, and for once it didn't go nuts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, um, they waved the triple that Chekhov was carrying around on his head for the whole oh movie. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, people, you know, it's one of those, like, pop culture cliches that Shatner's got a bad rug, but oh, my God. Chekhov, Chekhov, Chekhov. What is going on there? I guess they're still trying to do the monkey's hair, and his natural hair just won't do that anymore. He was just slathered in makeup also. Like, they were still trying to make him look like the young one. No, he looked like a a really bad Elvis impersonator. Like an Eastern (laughs) European Elvis impersonator who'd never really seen Elvis, seen like a bad picture of him, and tried to mimic the picture. I am hunk of burning love. (laughs) Old age really hit Koenig hard. Like, yeah. Well, then that's another thing that I that I threw in my notes here. Is I always thought Shatner looked really old in this movie, and looking back now from 2011, he looks quite young. He looks young. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel young. <laughs> it's the same with Nimoy. I'm sure we all thought that he looked old in this movie, and he was very craggly. And um, as I pointed is, out, he had gotten giant old man nose. Yeah, he's got a weird but, nose thing going on. You're right. 
but see, we but see I, him now and he looks like he's carved he looks like a chainsaw sculpture <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we pointed this out in the, the motion picture or two somewhere in early in the film series where nimoy turns a corner from like there's a very different look to old nimoy yeah oh yeah and but, i mean he just immediately switches from one to the other it's not a gradual you know decline he just suddenly becomes old nimoy and, yeah. and now very old Nimoy has sort of a third distinct look. That's true. Yeah, because you see Nimoy in something now, and you don't like. Well, yeah, when you see him in in the two thousand nine movie, he looks very different. But I mean, yeah, 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 they did the makeup enough so that you know who it is, obviously, and that voice. Mm-hmm. But still. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, you know, th- this was another story. They did a good job once again of acknowledging that yeah. these guys are older. It's not a. They're not trying to have young people adventures. They're having. You know, your grandmother's racist and needs to learn how to act. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which was yeah, nice. and they didn't make they didn't make it as big of a thematic thing this time because I think by now they trusted the audience to sort of pick up on it on right. their own. But it was yeah. still the kind of story that you can only tell with people who who you know who are set in their ways, who have had a lifetime of certain attitudes that need to change. Yeah, right. The story and wouldn't have worked don't... when they were all twenty. Yeah, if they were all twenty, you would have some sort of a story where they you know go rock climbing and eat marshmallows. Oh wait. <laughs> Marshmallows. Marshmallows. Boy, that sounds like a really good idea for a movie. (laughs) I'm not going back there, man. And fight rock (laughs) monsters. I'm recording from a different room than I usually record, and I'm looking at my DVDs, and there's a giant post-it note on Star Trek V that says, don't watch me. I don't know why I put it there, but I'm going to trust that there's a good reason. (laughs) For the life of me, I just can't remember putting that there. Uh, um, we definitely need, I mean, um, Brian, you obviously covered this in your summary, but we definitely need to, to spend a little time discussing Captain Sulu. It was yes. great to see one of them moving on with their career, moving on with their lives and doing well. I mean, yeah. well, especially since not to continue the, the, the Chekhov hate train, but he's moved back in his career. Well, in the all, second movie, he was the first officer. The... Well, I know, I think, I know Scotty's a captain and I know yep. Spock is a captain mm-hmm. and I think think technically bones is a captain also yeah they I never address him by rank so it's hard to say he is an yeah. admiral by next gen though yeah they never address doctors by rank like dr yeah. crusher i know was a commander yeah. yeah but you can only tell that by counting her uh her neck her dots well i feel like starfleet medical works differently than starfleet although rank. they they threw her in a situation in season six or seven where she had to command the ship and that was great they should have done that right. earlier on in fact there's, in, a, uh, there's a decent um uh, Star Trek novel called Doctor's Orders, which is pretty much a title-based plot, but it's I love it. It's a fantastic it. book. It is, and it's basically just Bones grumbling about how he could run things better, and then Kirk goes on an away mission and says, fine, you do it then, you're in charge. And well, Bones fine, says, why don't you do my job for a day, <laughs> I'll do your job for a day. Well, look, it's a wacky sitcom then, setup, but really. That's, of course, then that's Kirk a terrible idea, people Jim. in surgery, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but I actually know how Vulcan anatomy works. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, does he know how Klingon anatomy works? Yeah. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. I think, push it. I think we really need to, to talk about Sulu, though. We do I mean, need to talk about Sulu. It, I like that uh, they threw uh, Rand on his ship. Yeah, nobody likes Rand, but it is nice to at least have a familiar face Rand there. They should, have, they should have put on Kyle there, too. Or, I feel like they got the, or, with the beard. Um, uh, nurse, now Dr. Chapel. Yep. Dr. Chapel. Well, for all we know, she was his uh, chief medical officer. Could be. The Tuvok like, was on there, as yeah. we learned later. Yeah, which is fine. I don't mind. That's not a bad retcon. That's not yeah. a very good episode, but that itself is not a bad retcon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I like that they're moving on. Rand was supposed to have a bigger part, by the way. She's just not very good. She, no. Well, no, she's a terrible actor, and she's 
But I mean, I wonder if that's why. I wonder if Nick Meyer saw her read lines and said, oh, no, no, no. You're well, not no, very it's good. Because I'm already stuck with enough crappy actors. There's um, a part in the script uh, that was only listed as um, uh, Excelsior Communications Officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is all of her lines in that opening scene are Excelsior Communications Officer. Mm-hmm. And then the character shows up later uh, telling Sulu about what Starfleet Command said. So that's where Ensign Cameo, Christian Slater, came from. Uh, I see. Yes, that was we... going to be the communications officer, which they decided to make Rand. Well, I, I'm okay with that. I'm Plus, okay with it. Honestly, at the time in, in 1991, it was kind of cool to see Christian Slater in there because at this point, he wasn't the huge movie star that he would briefly be for two or three years in the 90s. He was he was sort of Mr. Cool, like uh, Heathers and Pump Up the Volume, and it was like, whoa, he's in Star Trek. That's pretty cool. <laughs> cool people like Star Trek. Yeah, wow. And, you know, if you watch the movie and you, you're watching the opening credits, uh, pay close attention to who the casting director is. Her name is Mary <laughs> Jo Slater. I think you can figure it out from there. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it's a coincidence. No, uh, it must be. Um, just like when uh, they had that. Trek six. <laughs> I'm going to be with, Hollow Man like, someday. When they oh, had that, uh, that that movie that was like really self indulgent for Kirk, and the director happened to be some guy named William Shatner. Yeah, what are the odds? <laughs> Very strange. Um, so no, I, like I say, it, it's cool to see Sulu moving on with his life. It's cool to see him in charge yeah. of of that ship that you know he had his jaw on the floor over for a few movies, like you know. Well, yeah, that's supposed to be like the, the new hot. Hot. Yeah, exactly. The best ship. And, and it's uh, great to see him. To be in command. Of course, those of us who follow all the, the you know the half baked Star Trek ideas that never came to fruition, remember that that Takei has been trying to get a Captain Sulu Adventures movie or show off the ground for twenty years now. But uh, yep. I would watch it so hard. Yes. Depending on who was writing it, if Braga was watching it, I'd give it a season and give up, like I always do. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah. And rightly so. <laughs> and I just because he's a, he's a good captain too. Yeah, he is. He's really in control of the situation. He doesn't dick around when the time comes for it. I like that he doesn't do shields up. He just goes, shields! Yeah. I really like the bits. He assumes his crew is going to know what to do with them. I I really like the bits um, when he's got to rush to the Enterprise's aid. And they're Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, faster, faster. And like, we'll fly her apart. Fly her apart then! Just the the intensity of, you know what? These guys risked their ass so many times to save the world. We're going to do something nice for them. Like, fucking go. And of course, uh, my what was almost my uh, my my quote, uh, which was um, when uh, you know the freaking moon explodes and <laughs> destroys half the Klingon outposts in that area, right. and Rand's response is, "Should we tell Starfleet?" Duh. And Captain Sulu just, "Are you kidding? <laughs> what do you, what do you think, Rand? Really? The hell is should, wrong with you? Come on, Janice. How long have we known each other?" Should should I tell Starfleet? Good lord! <laughs> Why are you here again? So okay. somebody get me in. Get in some cameo. <laughs> Excuse me, you sir. At, you at least know what you're doing, and you get a nice ass. <laughs> Look at that thing. Okay. <laughs> oh my. So <laughs> there's uh, there, there's also the issue of who should have been the third Savic, but who is now. A different female Vulcan character, uh, mm-hmm. Valeris, who was played Valeris. by uh, then, then only known as playing the mannequin who came to life from the movie Mannequin, Kim Cattrall, <laughs> uh, later Man, known as the wow. leather handbag from Sex and the City. You just put that one in perspective for me. Yeah, no, re- really, uh, her, her biggest role before that was Mannequin. Mannequin. Yeah. Oh, she's 
so adorable, though. She is. Yes. She's, oh her, she's quite With her Vulcan hair and her Vulcan eyebrows and her little shaved, like, sideburn area. Yeah. Not sideburns, because she's a woman, but you know what I mean. No, I know exactly what you mean. That was the style of the time. Yep. But yes, I know. <laughs> and her Gwen Stacy headband and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, she was, she was a lot of fanboys. Uh, uh, delight. Um, Not to mention Spock's. Well, yeah, there yeah. were there was clearly some kind of weird tension there. But uh, they just they uh, they eyebrowed each other at one point, and I was like, "Ooh, the screen just crackled." Well, yep. the thing is, you know, there, there's that whole thing that we've talked about this whole thread of did he or did he not knock up Savic? Did he ever talk to her again? And this throws that into a whole new perspective because yep. who knows? Apparently, Spock just look just trains uh, female Vulcan officers and then bangs them. Yeah, and uh, no, she's my protege. It's logical. Uh, yeah, I know what that. Look, you've been around. If, you've been around Kirk too long. Spock, this <laughs> is like your eighth or ninth protege. Well, none of them are satisfactory. I, I believe it. It seems like every seven years you get a new one. <laughs> I don't know what you're implying, Doctor. He's got a seven-year calendar on the wall yep. with a big circle. <laughs> <laughs> And he gets up to that day, and he tears off the page, and he sees the circle, and he says, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and Kim Cattrall was great. I, I really wish it would have been Savick, though, because she does end up, uh, spoilers, she ends up being one of the major conspirators. And it would have been whoa, great. Whoa, what? Yeah, I know. Um, it would have been great for us to have something invested in the character more than 15 minutes of screen time. Like, that would have carried yeah. so much more weight if it had been this character we've had on the in the movies since 2. Yeah, and we've seen her as a cadet working her way up and becoming more relevant and becoming learning about how to work around humans. And, and it would have been a nice way to sort of end that arc. Like, I can't deal with these humans. Fuck it, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And I completely now, buy her believing that to be the thing. Like, Yeah, that, she had a good motive. She was as, yeah, as yeah, a villain. Yeah, it would have been like... Motive. It's not like it would have been like Savick suddenly turned evil. It was no. like a like you know, has a political logical, logical yeah, which is apparently yeah. what Roddenberry thought it would be. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, whose idea was it to change her from Savick to uh, well, well, the dead guy? The, yeah, well, the great bird gosh, of galaxy. Nobody calls him that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, Actually, she... I kind of bet that Christian Slater did. <laughs> <laughs> Please, <laughs> great bird of the galaxy, let me in your movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Only because you said it. Oh, you remind me of heart. I was my age. <laughs> I'll call you Wesley. Please don't. <laughs> Wesley Slater. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, unfortunately, uh, there, there's a there's a bit near the end where um, Spock needs to get some information from Valeris, and there's I don't. Uh, it's a mind rape. It's I mean, I don't like throwing the word rape around just casually, but really, it is a mind. It rape. really well, is, I, and it's. It, it, Directed to definitely make you think, like it, yeah, her you're screams not and the way it's shot, and yeah, the reactions very tense. Yeah, Spock and they don't even get anything out. Well, they do know who the conspirators are, but she doesn't know where they're supposed yeah, but then to go. They call right? Sulu and get yeah. the information they need. Like they could have just skipped that step. Well, there's that guy from the last three movies. He's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, Cisco's dead. <laughs> you know that guy. I actually wish they dwelled on that some more, too, just because I thought it was cool that they brought him back again to have him Admiral be... Cartwright, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's to a good actor, and, and as Brian pointed out, he was the voice of uh, Darth Vader in the uh, Star Wars uh, audio play. Yeah, uh, Radio Star Wars. He's a, he's actually one of only two people I can think of off the top of my head who have been in Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. It's him and uh, Clive Revel, who did the voice of the Emperor in uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And played Sir Guy of Gisborne in the uh, Next Generation episode, Cupid. Uh, can I take that week that's, off? That's foreshadowing, you guys. 
Al, are you saying that you are not, in fact, a merry man? I am not. I thought that was the worst of gimmick episodes ever, and I bet Brian loves it, don't you? I sure do. I figured as much. It is written for him, you have to admit. Wait, no, it absolutely is. You know, of course, I think I saw you defending Rascals earlier, too. And I, that... No, no, I was, I was non-defending. Okay, all right, good, good. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. We'll get to that in I, I've got some six. fierce things to say about Rascals. Okay. Well, that's, See you guys next year. That is a long time from now. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that uh, talking of next gen, I think it's it's important for us to bring up this tied in really nicely with next gen. There's a yeah. lot of subtle ways to say there's going to be peace with the Klingons eventually, but it also we see that it didn't happen immediately. That stuff happens sort of over time. Um, there's Spock starting his diplomatic career because of his yeah. daddy issues. Mm-hmm. There's just, a lot like, and I think it's important that we see that in this because this is yeah, like. Peace with the Klingons and is a big deal. It know? really is. This was the only uh, Star Trek movie, like original crew movie, that came out when Next Generation was really in full swing. Well, yeah. I mean, five happened during five, season one, but yeah. So, but so like they didn't know much about Next Generation when they were making it. Yeah. So like this is the movie that they made with the Next Generation in mind. Like, what does the audience already know? Right. Well, Who's we got Grand a great Dwarf cameo, which was fantastic. Exactly. I like As the uh, worst that... lawyer in the Klingon Empire. Yeah, the, well, uh, the public we... defender. There's no <laughs> honor in that. Public defender in the Klingon Empire has got to be like such a low position. Yeah, but... Almost as bad as the guy who collects General Chang's coat as he takes it off. <laughs> guy that looks up quotes for General Chang to use in conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. He doesn't even read Earth literature. No. He's, well, he's, he's going to keep up the illusion that it's in the original Klingon, too. This, this guy is perpetuating the myth single-handedly. It's the. I feel like it's the Klingon equivalent of Ensign Sadsack. <laughs> job is just to carry the general's coat around and look up quotes for him. <laughs> How about cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war? Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> Try to. Yeah. yeah, General Trang bit bit over the top. Ryan was was telling us he's he's compiled a list of his favorite over the top villains, and General Trang's definitely on there. So. Yep. Don't wait for the translation! Answer me now! God, I love that line. And yeah. it, it is from, uh, was it Adlai Stevenson or something at the uh, the UN, something or yes, other? Yes, that is correct. Um, I looked it up. Yeah, and actually, uh, Judge John Hodgman did it on his show a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I nearly drove off the road, because I knew for him it was more a Star Trek reference than a history reference, but I bet he knew I knew both of them. <laughs> uh, now I'm remembering bad. that. Yeah. That was that was great. What a delight! But no, Chang was a bit over the top. His Klingon makeup wasn't um, existing. Finished. <laughs> yeah, no, he just had a couple of tiny bumps on his head. But uh... well, I feel like because the old series Klingons were so much more warlike, and then the Klingons like slowly became more peaceful and honorable. And Chang was definitely a throwback to the original, more treacherous kind. So maybe like his his smoother forehead was. No, I'm just pulling all this out of my ass right now. Uh, for Plummer wanted to have his pretty, pretty face out there. I, I buy that more than I buy whatever the hell Enterprise thinks is a good idea. No, no, no I'm totally fine with that. And honestly, yeah, if you're going to do a movie that kind of takes place in between when we see the big lobster-headed guys and when we see the smooth-headed guys, it's nice to have some you know evolutionary middle steps. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was great as the, the over-the-top crazy guy and a nice counterpoint to david warner who thankfully gets to redeem himself after that awful turn in uh, five yep <laughs> the drunk guy yeah as the yeah. drunk earth ambassador on the 
ironic planet of ironic galactic ironic peace <laughs> with irony. Um, no, he was export. <laughs> he was fantastic as uh, Gorkin. Oh um, God, he was so great. The makeup, was... the costuming, the props, everything about him. And, and the way he played him was just yeah he sold that character as like a Klingon who genuinely believes that the yeah, best like thing. a Klingon sort of Gorbachev like a yeah yeah he's he's got an opposing ideology but he's the one sort of extending the olive branch for the first time. like a lot of the a lot of the time when they bring up like Klingon ambassadors like mm-hmm. I don't sort of buy it like I always well think the Klingon ambassador the is that guy is that is that you know James Kirk renegade and terrorist that guy <laughs> but like Gorkov- this guy's the chancellor he's their leader. I like I totally buy Yeah, I totally buy it from him. Yeah, absolutely. And he doesn't sacrifice his Klingonity? Kling Klingon Klingon Klingonacity. Yeah, he doesn't he's not Klingoni. <laughs> <laughs> That's garbage and you know it. <laughs> no, he doesn't he doesn't sacrifice the, the warrior honorable. Like he still comes off as a Klingon, but he also seems sympathetic and you know what I mean? Like he's he's really good. There's some face acting right before he gets assassinated that is just oh that was fantastic. so good. Just the look in his eye, like he's not scared and he's not angry. He's just waiting to see what happens. Yeah, and it's just it's so good. He's he's he's, he's curious. Yeah, no that guy, more than anything. That guy between this and then uh, playing uh, the Cardassian that tortures Picard in the infamous Four Lights episode. Uh, oh yeah, just. It's so great, and he's been in many, many other. And he's Rachel Ghoul, and he's the bad guy in Tron, and yeah. he was uh, in Time After Time, which I like, although apparently not a lot of people do. No, plenty of people do. I, I'm not a fan <laughs> myself. But, uh, I've never seen it. What What upsets me is when people. He was off... the lobe in Freakazoid. <laughs> See, he was too. Fuck. Here's the thing: when everyone <laughs> reads off David Warner's awesome filmography and says this example, mm-hmm. this example, they always leave off the very best one, which is the evil one in Time Bandits. Oh yeah, and that's how I knew him from when I was a kid on, and he's always just been amazing because of that. And he was uh, the head of the Assassins Guild and Hogfather. Yeah, that's true. So he was. He's he is he has been everywhere. He's been in Twin Peaks. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been in everything. Um, But here was here or the Cardassian torturing Picard. Either one of these is is probably my favorite. Just because yeah, so great. Um. But yeah, he was a great choice for that. And like I say, every part of that character was well thought out and well mm-hmm. represented and just awesome. Yeah, I mean, they, they, the, the, the actors that they got for all the supporting roles in this, because Christopher Plummer, yeah. as much as we joke about his chewing on the scenery, that's exactly what they needed. Yeah, they, yep. he's, you know, shouting Shakespeare and, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't want to um, give up the great warrior-ness of... of spinning you know. around in his chair. Yeah. Even like, 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 uh... Like uh, Gorkhan's uh, right hand man has a great bit right when like he's Before he gets torn between when he's he's torn between arresting Kirk and McCoy and letting them help yeah. like he there that's great the Klingon prison guard is great despite his <laughs> the ridiculous Russian Kling- yeah line. the Russian Klingon prison guard yeah <laughs> this is the yeah. Gulag Revente he's more you Russian have than Chekhov the Klingon there. epic of Cinderella. <laughs> Oh, the uh, the prison thing. Um, oh, you haven't talked about that at that, all. That uh, establishing bit in the prison where they see the weird alien prisoners. Star Trek has tried so many times to duplicate the uh, the cantina scene from Star Wars, talking of <laughs> comparing Star Trek to Star Wars, and this is the only time they've gotten it right. It does go both ways. Yeah, it does. And, uh, yeah, this was great. And especially because there was like two Klingon prisoners, and because 
Chekhov called it the alien's graveyard in one of his many awful lines, but you kind of get the impression this is where the Klingons send anybody who's not a Klingon. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and again, the nice variety, nice strangeness of aliens. Uh, guys mm-hmm. who fight Kirk are big lumbering, sort of harken back to the old school series, but look a little nicer and, you know. Yeah. Nice to see Kirk getting fighting and actually kissing a girl for once in all the movies. Oh, yeah. Well, um, she kissed him. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> but still, you know, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> Must have been a lifelong ambition. I, I won. I won. I got it first. <laughs> Damn it. You know, when I edit this, I can I can make either of you be first. So, uh... curses! You're, you're just gonna cut us both out and put you in doing it. Yeah, probably. No, uh, what's her name? I don't know how to say her name. Iman Iman. Uh, Iman. Yeah. Um, Iman. Mrs. David Bowie, uh, who was largely a supermodel at this point, and I think still is. Um, I think she did like three movies. Yeah, she she had a she had a cameo in L.A. Story. At the beginning, there's this great bit where uh, uh, Steve Martin and a bunch of guys are sitting around. You know, it's making fun of pretentious L.A. crap. And mm-hmm. uh, everyone's ordering cappuccino back before cappuccino was a relatively normal thing. And, and wait till you see what it costs. <laughs> and then everyone says, uh, oh, and can I have a twist of lemon? Yeah, I'll have a twist of lemon. Yeah, and they go around the table. And she's because of her weird accent, she's like, I'll have a twist of lemon. And it's just, it, it makes me laugh just because of her. Because she's got that weird, you know, they don't take girls. Like, she has a great <laughs> accent, and I can't place it. And it, I, I like uh, that about her. She sounds like some sort of Somalian supermodel who lives with David Bowie. Yeah, that's about yep. right. Sounds, sounds pretty valid to me. Approximately <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, um, but like she's picked up like weird British inflections. Yeah, and absolutely. But she's she's great in this, too. She's not just the pretty girl. Like, much, Oh, yeah, no, she's she's really good. <laughs> much like Persis Kambata, she's something to look at, but she's also, you know, completely mm-hmm. fills the character like, you know, like everybody yep. else. And I get, I, I kind of got the impression that like the big hairy thing was her normal form. I couldn't say because she's supposed to be a shapeshifter, and I kind of, I kind of like the retcon idea, and I have nothing to back this up, but I like the idea that she's one of Odo's people, that mm-hmm. she's one of those orphan changelings that they sent out across the galaxy, and she right. became a criminal. I could see that, yeah. But that's I have nothing to back that up on other than my own personal fanboy. You know, the fact that it, it would be cool. Because, I mean, we've had shapeshifters in Star Trek before that aren't founders. Yeah, but they, they do the the camera cuts away and cuts back and they look like someone else. This is the first time. Ah. The, so that's your rationale for why she's the same species, that the camera doesn't cut away from her? <laughs> because you see well. the morphing and you hear the little <laughs> when she morphs. And that's what but she doesn't is. turn. she doesn't turn brown and melty in the middle. Well, that's true. Maybe she's better at it than Odo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that could be. He was, he was kind of bad at it. He yeah. was really bad at it, and then his entire race decided to start making fun of him for it. Yep, and <laughs> blow up the alpha. Hey, Odo, hey, Odo, is this what a nose looks like? <laughs> hey, your nose looks really good today. Yeah, hey, great eye sockets, man. <laughs> You're really selling the whole human thing. Shut up. Way to have hair. Speaking of Rene Aubergenois. Thank you. Speaking of Odo. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, in the deleted scenes. He was. He was uh, Colonel West, a rank that has never been associated with any Starfleet officer. Well, before. here's the thing: Starfleet but... is based on the Navy. Colonel is an Army rank. Um, I think probably Starfleet intelligence follows the Army. Like, well, you know, I mean, I, I, this is pure speculation, but I'm almost positive it's right. Colonel North. Yeah. Oh. Colonel Oliver North. Colonel West. Well, so. Peter North, Randy West. 
Yeah. Those are porn stars. Anyway. Oh. I did not know that. That's all right. Um, somebody will get that. <laughs> and no, there, was, there was a lot of the sort of folding... most atomic horror audience. If you laughed at that, you are a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a lot of sort of folding in current events. I mean, obviously, like I said in my summary, there was a lot, you know... But the, the explosion of Praxis was obviously Chernobyl, and there's, you know... Yeah. The whole Glasnost thing, and Gorkin was clearly a, a stand-in for Gorbachev. I mean, there's a lot of that, but it worked, because... Star Trek was a Cold War allegory in a lot of ways, and the Klingons were very much the Soviets. So you know, absolutely, it works. I would love to see like Klingon Perestroika, where like they all try to like listen to Federation music and like wear like <laughs> assimilate the yeah. Stuff. We're all going to wear red jackets and pants with stripes on them. <laughs> well, actually, go no, mountain I climbing I and eat marshmallows. <laughs> first, it would be, the first it would be civilian stuff. So we're all, we're all going to wear jumpsuits and have camel toes. <laughs> we're all going to wear terrible, terrible wigs. <laughs> Except for Christopher Plummer, he doesn't have to. No, but he's you know he's he's resisting the trend anyway. He wants to stay to the old ways. So that yes, good... yeah. Um, Does that mean like the Klingon Brezhnev? <laughs> yes. No, he's the Klingon Khrushchev. He takes off his shoe, <laughs> banging it against the podium, <laughs> uh, impales himself on the point. See, now I want to know who the uh, who the Federation Nixon is, and that's uh, yeah. Never mind. Whole weird tangent there. Um, You're listening to the 1970s politics podcast. <laughs> hey, this is my this is my wheelhouse, man. <laughs> Which is a sports reference, by the way. Uh, what what else? I want to make sure we cover the, all the major points here. What the orts. What? The orts. Yeah, I I, I, I don't, don't follow. That's okay. Let's let's get back to Star Trek. What do we got? Yes. What what, what else is on the? Uh, everybody gets drunk. Yeah, that's that's one of those plot contrivances that I'm not too keen on because it's obvious Valeris is like, well, if I serve Romulan ale at the dinner, then they'll all be drunk. Romulan ale? That'll help. Really? Yeah. And then the fact that they can't figure out whether they fired torpedoes. Yeah. yeah. It seems to me a cloaked ship firing near you would still be from a trajectory that was different enough that you could tell. Like, yeah, like unless, you... unless the the Klingon ship was really tiny, or unless it was not just cloaked, but phased. But phased. <laughs> yes. Like, well, Next we've 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 got all of our uh, torpedoes. We counted them, so we didn't. But we did because look, it looks like we did. Yeah. Therefore, uh, it must have been us. It kind of falls apart for me there. But again, because everything moves so quickly, and because the mm. momentum of of good. Good writing and, and good performing kind of carries it away. Right. I just, you know what? Who cares? It doesn't. You don't matter. have to think about poor instant sad sack down there counting every single photon. <laughs> because yeah, by. Scotty makes a reference two or three times to you know all, counted all torpedoes by, so visually, visually accounted for. Visually, that's what it was. Yeah, forty-seven, forty-eight. How's it going down there? <sighs> One. One. <laughs> yes, yeah, Scotty um, um, doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, and at some point he refers to that Klingon bitch. <laughs> That's about He's, his biggest line gets, in this movie. He gets to be the second most racist. Yeah, and the much fattest. Oh, he he put on several. <laughs> and again, we, we always feel kind of bad because now we know Dewan had some health had issues. Had every but, disease in the world. But still, it just it, you can't not mention it. If we're going to mention Chekhov's hair and, and Nimoy's and, nose, you got to mention, yeah. you know. Chekhov's got old man hair, Nimoy's got old man nose, and... Scotty's got gut. Yeah. Now, here's the... Flappy, flappy jowls. Are are Scotty and Uhura still dating? 
I don't know. Uhura looks I, great. Yeah, she yeah, I stopped, feel like that's uh, why she looks like powerful. Great. Yeah, she stopped letting her hair go gray. She's wearing the yeah. skirt. She's looking good for, like, a woman of 60. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like they broke up and things got a lot better for her. <laughs> I, I always like to imagine... And Scotty that... really let himself go, see? Yeah, that makes yeah. total sense. He just, he, he, you know, he ate his way through depression, like like people do. Scotty, I can't stand to see you like this. <laughs> I mean, they have a they have a kitchen there, obviously, so there's, you know... <laughs> yeah, make it they have a kitchen this. with guns. Yeah, we, uh, It's yeah. the gun kitchen, okay? No, I... Uh, I believe that most places on the ship probably have emergency phasers, but I don't yeah. think they're just I believe a little that door. We, we all could have accepted Valeris just drawing her gun and shooting it. Yeah. We didn't have to have her walk over to the gun rack on the wall in the kitchen. Yeah, that's true. And take one. I don't know. There were so and, many and, problems with that because she vaporized the pot, but the food stayed, which looked cool, but didn't make much sense. or whatever no. it was. Yeah. And then Chekhov didn't know that when you fire a phaser, an alarm goes off. Really, dude? You, you were in charge of security at one point. You, you He's didn't been know on the that? ship for like 30 fucking years. He's done the same job for 30 years. He's still... He's uh, theoretically secu- the security guy. Yeah. The best part of that is that later when they find the guys who were killed by like being stunned point blank, mm-hmm. they're like, why didn't they just vaporize them? And he goes, it would have set off the alarm. Yeah, I learned something today. Guys, guys, <laughs> I totally know this. This is a thing that I know. That's Chekhov's thread. That's his. Yep. That's his arc. Yep. That's all he gets. He gets to learn about something the ship does, and then tell someone <laughs> about it. That's his arc. That's the only thing he's learned. He's still racist at the end. Yeah, Sulu yep. gets to save the day. Everyone else learns about racism, and Chekhov learns one thing about the ship. <laughs> but he's so proud of himself. He's more proud than anyone else on that ship. That's true. <laughs> Not so big as a well, captain, I saw, think. Saw the way he was grinning at the end. Yeah. That shot. The giant smile. This on is his. goodbye. If only. <laughs> yeah. Um, I sure hope I come back for Star Trek 7. <sighs> for some reason. Unfortunately, he will. Because I'm I am Captain Kirk's best because I'm helping out in sickbay because they didn't bother changing the lines when DeForest did. Yeah. I, I, okay. Um, Bones was pretty good in this. <laughs> I thought... Uh, oh, I, I just... Good. I, I, you can probably see my mental process there. Okay, let's move on from Chekhov because we could really do this for an hour. Is what I'm thinking. Yep. No, I, Bones. I, I keep coming. I made a special uh, effort to notice what Bones was up to, and it, it occurred to me he's the only one that doesn't start out racist. No. Yeah. He seems pretty for the whole piece with the Klingons thing. He wants to help when they're hurt. He's he's just like. He, yeah, I mean, he's got a. I mean, I don't want to step on my own quote, but like the the stuff he says at the trial, like you absolutely yeah. believe. Yeah. But even before that, he, he proposes a toast at the dinner when everyone else is saying horrible things. Yeah. When when Kirk compares Chang to Hitler, and, you know... Luckily, Chang have is probably right. never heard of. You're like Hitler. Yeah. Guys, uh, yikes. Yeah, you haven't read Godwin's Law until you've seen it in the original Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Kampf really loses something in the translation. <laughs> Not really. It's remarkably the same. <laughs> yeah, um... There's, because I've been watching uh, electronic versions of these, I've been uh, uh, ripping them from my DVDs just so I can watch them, you know, on my computer or whatever. Uh, for some reason, the subtitles don't come through. So whenever there's scenes in Klingon, I, ha- I kind of have to guess what they're saying. Unfortunately, I've seen this enough that I know. But it's it's a strange experience watching an entire scene play out in Klingon and not have subtitles. Mm-hmm. It really gives it kind of a cool. That yeah, that's especially with that cool one old me. guy. 
Yeah, what you pointed out wasn't speaking Klingon at all. He's just going like they were all like, hey, no, oh, fuck. And he was just like, and the thing is, they had what's his name, Marco Crand, the guy who created the Klingon language. I know they had him on the set for a few of these, like to make sure they got it right. I know that there's no verb for to be. What's that? There's no Klingon uh, word for to be. Yeah, he structured it so that they didn't have that verb, and they had to completely change the structure of the language. Well, what Chang literally says is, uh, it exists or it does not exist. Ah, nice. Yeah. That's, that's... I, own, I own the Klingon Hamlet, guys. Nice. Of course you do. It was Did a whim. I'm not shocked by that cool. development. The only, the only Klingon that I know is, is to be or not to be, because I've seen this movie a million times. And well, I also know how I... to say hello in Klingon. That's it. Okay. Uh, I actually I do know the entire quote because it's a trachba trachbe gach mutaven vuchnush, which think, is to be or not to be. That is the question. I think that may be the the pinnacle of nerdness on this show. That's what got me cast in the Renaissance Fair. If you want to make it even nerdier, now how do you say huzzah in Klingon? Kapla. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I know that one too. That means success. Thank or you. if you're that, or if you're that other Klingon guy, argle bargle bargle. Rudebagger, rudebagger, rudebagger. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I think it's time to wrap this up. Do we have any other major business to discuss? Or... Um, Sarek sounds like Vincent Price. Yeah, I can't unnotice that. I love Sarek, and now I'm just going to... Way to way to ruin Sarek for, for Al. Well, it appears that Captain Kirk is in the... That's unfortunate. I, for one, love a good Vincent Price impression. Yeah, I don't like Vincent Price, so there you go. <laughs> Um, they finally decided that the R stands for Tiberius. That was something. <laughs> yeah, this is the first uh, canon appearance of Tiberius. It did appear in the yep. animated series, but that doesn't count. And it seems very <laughs> deliberate. It seems like, uh, what is it, the, the architect of this tragic affair, James Tiberius Kirk. Like, How do you like that? Fancy pants. See, we've read your file. We know. <laughs> yeah. No, that was nice, because really, if this is the last movie, we should know it. They keep saying James T. Kerr, like, constantly. Mm -hmm. Well, what the fuck is the T for? This is is a stupid fanboy nitpick, but it really bugged me the first time I saw the the Abrams Trek movie, when that kid, in the first five minutes, says, I'm James Tiberius Kirk. Like, fuck you, we had to wait 30 years to find out what that means. You don't get to say that. (laughs) I remember... You have to earn that. When that trailer first aired and I was still not sure that yeah. that was going to be a good movie, that kid goes, my name is T- James Tiberius Kirk. I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> Fuck you, it is. I got, I got really angry because, that's, like I say, you have to earn that. That was a mystery mm-hmm. for so many years. But it, it turns out it's a plot point and it, it works, so it's fine. My name is James Tiberius Kirk. Now let me tell you why Klingon's head looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Enterprise. <laughs> Anything else? Any other? Uh, I think that's uh, that's all we want to talk about. Oh, yeah. wait, one la- one last thing. Uh, the the talking to the Klingon guard scene. Okay. Oh, when God. the uh, Enterprise was flying in, and apparently oh, all yeah passed to the border patrol of the prison planet. Yeah, and they have to talk in Klingon. There's a there's a horrible Chekhov line that's foleyed in later. But we have to do it by hand. The universal translator will be recognized. Yeah, and they're like. We are to be going visit. Yeah, we supply- am. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Isn't that that's what another for. Another one of the many lines that Nichelle Nichols was annoyed that she had to say in this movie. Well, yep. yeah. 
That's part of the reason Chekhov got all the terrible guess who's coming to dinner lines because she wouldn't say anything with the racial overtones. Which I gotta tell you, I respect the hell out of. I do. Uh, yeah. But on the other hand, if they're all racist, then doesn't that make her, you know, by by proving that the black chick can be just as racist as the rest of them, isn't that sort of inclusive well, in a way? She, I feel yeah, like... Even though can, she wouldn't say the lines, because I can see like why like saying that might... Like, she definitely played the emotion. Yeah, yeah I see her being racist against Klingons without saying things that are racist against black people. I suppose that's true. Would you let your daughter marry one was in the original script? Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, I wouldn't, though. So, <laughs> there you go. But that's where we get Kalar from. Well, that's true. Kalar is pretty great. He is. Alright. Uh, and on that happy note... <laughs> yeah. Anything else? But toward the future, guys. <laughs> Excestris Scientia or something. E pluribus unum. Yeah. No, I, mine was the, uh, the the Federation, or no, Starfleet's motto, which is uh, from the star's knowledge. Oh, yeah. my was, mind was... I was trying to outdork you there. I don't think I succeeded, but I was trying. You did, you did. No, I knew, I knew what it meant. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's, let's go with our alternate titles. What do you say? All, All right. right. I think I'm going to have to back up and give you a running start, Brian, because... Looking, looking at our notes here, yours is a little long. What do you, what do you got? Well, um, I chose the uh, title that uh, General Chang actually specifically requested for the movie, mm-hmm. which is Star Trek VI. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Very nice. It sounds like not to go because Star- it sounded like it was kind of down on the movie. Well, it sounds like you were summing up Star Trek Five. Well, also, all our yesterdays was already an episode. That's yeah. true. And uh, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, was a fart joke in uh, Venture Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> And the way to Dusty Death was a Spider-Man Doctor Strange team up. Ah, oh, very nice. Really, Doctor Strange. It should have been a uh, Spider-Man Sandman team up, <laughs> like Marvel Sandman, the guy made of sand. Yes. Uh, All right, Matt. What do you got? I went with Star Trek VI: The Gorkon Initiative. Duh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because well, the, the, they say that they refer yeah, to they like Plan as the the Gorkon Initiative. Right. Exactly. I'm like, there's my title. That was easy. Good night, folks. <laughs> and I went with Star Trek VI. Oh, thank God, there's one more. <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Like word. I said, I really remember that period in '89, '90, where we're like, really, is that it? Is that how they're going out? That's all, huh? Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> no. Well, no, I just. No. I would like to take this opportunity to thank my brother because, as I recall, you came down to Star Trek Five and Six, and you asked him which one he'd rather yeah, do. Yeah, I was, bu- I was booking one. up guests, and I was talking to people we hadn't had on before, and I, I, yeah, we should have Flonk on. Which, which one do you want? This is what's left. He, yeah, you're getting on one. Your bro- you're getting one. Your brother's getting one, and uh, I got to watch a very good movie and say nice <laughs> things about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we had someone. I think it was our, our friend Adrian who who will we will have on during Next Gen at some point. I think he's called an episode there. Um, mm-hmm. Who pointed out that he he didn't have much interest in listening to us talk about Star Trek Two because it's a fantastic movie. He wanted to hear us talk about Five because it's much funnier when we're in pain, and he's not that's, wrong. That's no, why that's I'm true. excited about uh, Next Gen season one. I think you guys will all be surprised to find that I don't completely hate Star uh, Next Gen Season 1. Is the uh, episode where they spend a minute eating, like, grub worms <laughs> any better? 
like I, like I was saying, I think the whole thing is watching it chronologically, coming off of the original series, realizing it's a continuation of that cheesy 60s show, and not thinking in terms of what it's going to be later. Like, if you watch it in context, there's some decent stuff in there. But uh, Fair enough. Well, I still look forward good. to hearing, you know, the bucket episodes. Well, yeah. The, the they, thing, there will be some of those. Yeah, the thing about the real credit that I will give Next Gen Season 1 that I, that I don't think applies to pretty much any other Star Trek, especially mm-hmm. Next Gen, is there is more of an attempt to explore strange new worlds. There is more of an attempt to show exotic, non-human aliens. Like, they really I, go out of their way to show you sort of different non-humanoid, you know, strange alien things, which they really got away from later on. And actually, as much as I will make fun of that, you know, uh, Alien Parasites episode, which I find is really heavy-handed, uh, first alien captain was in that one. Yeah. True. And so, uh, and, uh, and a female captain also in that same episode. Very nice. Although we've seen a couple now. Yeah. Yep. So now there is room in our uh, world of stuff. <laughs> in our world of and we have to put that joke to rest. Of course we do. We have so many jokes to put to rest now, unfortunately. I think, as our listeners will know, we never put any jokes to rest. Well, I'm really going to miss the good solid club. I know that. I'm going to miss Mike Takei voice. I'm going to miss Chekhov. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, you're not. <laughs> no one misses Chekhov. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, there is no Mrs. Chekhov. All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's do our quotes, gentlemen. Uh, Brian, what do you got? Okay, uh, my quote uh, is, uh, well, I, I actually I really wanted to choose the, the segment of the trial where uh, Kirk gets interrogated with the don't wait for the translation, but um, yeah. that's like two minutes long, and I didn't want to spend all that much time on it. I honestly would have used the entire court scene, because that whole bit with Klingons chanting Kirk and Kirk, banging Kirk. down there, yeah, it's so awesome. And everything with the judge's voice, which we didn't talk about, but the judge has an amazing voice, which yeah, he uh, we'll hear in here. Uh, so here's here's a bit of the trial where uh, you get Bones being awesome, you get Chang being way over the top and eating the courtroom, and you get a little bit of the judge's voice. So here we are. Dr. McCoy, would you be so good as to tell me what is your current medical status? Aside from a touch of arthritis, I'd say pretty good. <laughs> You have a singular wit, Doctor. For 27 years, I've been ship surgeon aboard the USS Enterprise. In three months, I stand out. Ah. You know, I believe that you consumed rather a generous amount of Romulan ale in the officer's mess on the night in question. Am I right, Doctor? Objection! Sustained. We all did. All of us. That doesn't mean... Was... Chancellor Gorkum alive when you first examined him? Barely. Now be careful, Doctor. Have you ever, in your past, saved patients as barely alive as he? I didn't have the medical knowledge I needed for Klingon anatomy. I see. You were there. You say you are due for retirement. May I ask, do your hands shake? Objection! I was nervous. No. You were incompetent. You were incompetent! Whether deliberately or as a result of age combined with drink. The court will have to determine. My God, man! I tried to save him! I tried to save him! 
I was desperate to save him. He was the last best hope in the universe for peace. The witness is excused. I, um, yeah, that, that whole courtroom scene was, I think, the first VHS or DVD or whatever that I watched in Surround. And you, you get those Klingon voices and those staffs or whatever they are banging down all around you. And it's such a good effect audio-wise. It's, it's The, the judge's, done. like, crazy iron hand gavel thing. Yeah. That gavel is so fucking cool. Nice echoey, yeah. I'm amazed they haven't made one. Oh, surely yeah. they have. Like as a paperweight or something. I'm still amazed to this day that they, that as far as I know, there is no Bluetooth headset that looks like Uhura's earpiece. Yeah, still. Yeah, that's just common sense. Yeah, obviously. Uh, all right, Matt, what do you got? Right, never I mind. Was, you can buy one. I was, I was spoiled. <laughs> just found uh, it on the internet. Oh, for uh, I couldn't decide between uh, the one I went with and I, re- I also really liked when uh, Kirk fights the, uh, the shapeshifter that he'd been making out with previously and they do the, uh, I can't believe I kissed you. Must have been like your lifelong ambition. Well, people need to know where that came from because we've been referencing that for uh, for over a year now. So yeah. yes, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, but I went with uh, Bones attempting to save uh, Gorkon on the uh, on the Klingon ship just because it's an awesome fucking Bones moment. Aren't you carrying a surgeon? We were until this disgrace. Well, then, for God's sakes, man, let me help. I got a pulse. We can move him. I'm going to need some light. Can we get him up on this table? Hold him. Hold him while I stabilize. I said hold him. Jesus, can you, Jim? I don't even know his anatomy. His wounds are not closing. He's killing. He's gone into some kind of damned arrest. Come on, damn it! Come on! Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, I do like, it never seems contrived, but in the movies, almost in every movie, they come up with a reason to have a doctor, not just Bones as, as you know, Kirk's conscience. Just a long Yeah. Time, but he gets I, a chance to do his job. And that's yeah. definitely not something they could always do on the show. Yeah. Or no. in Next Gen, where half mm-hmm. the crew is just there because, hey, remember these guys? But they didn't really have any place in the story. Well, to yeah. be fair, Dr. Crusher was also the dance captain of the crew. So. Oh, well. <laughs> And that's why we all watch Star Trek for dancing and show tunes. Maybe you do. Well, I know I do. There was also a, a heated <laughs> Remember that Robin Hood Twitter earlier about insurrection. Ugh. And how everyone loves data singing show tunes. Uh. So, yeah. Uh, my quote is, I, I, as anyone who know, has known me for more than five minutes would probably guess, <laughs> there's a Nixon reference in here, and uh, here it is. We volunteered. There's an old Vulcan proverb. Only Nixon could go to China. Yeah, I uh, I love the, the sort of literal type of nerds who don't get the joke there. <laughs> Wait a minute. How could they have Nixon on Vulcan? You dummy. 
It's actually it's a Vulcan name also. There's an apostrophe in it. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> Sarek, son of Nixon. Sarek. The great the great tale always... of the Vulcan. <laughs> the great tale of the Vulcan philosopher Nixon who traveled to the great mountain of China. <laughs> now, son, I'm going to be telling you about the story of Nixon. <laughs> You've ruined it's the It's a ghoulish macabre tale. <laughs> <laughs> For no mere mortal can resist. <laughs> Alright, on, on, on that note, again, I don't know what this is the finale of, but I feel like we're at the end of an era here. It's the end of a something, I agree. Yeah, although next week we are doing the Abrams movie, as we have discussed. Fuck yeah, we're doing the, the Abrams the movie. The other choice was to uh, wait until, you know, seven years or whatever till we got through all the series. We're not even positive we're doing that yet, so I'd much rather no. just do this. It makes more sense here, I think. Yeah, I agree. Plus, I, I, the rule that I've imposed on myself is that I'm denying myself any of this stuff, like I, I can't rewatch anything until I've seen it in the context of the show because I want to see it, you know, with fresh yeah. eyes. And so I have Star Trek Blue Balls. I haven't seen one of my all-time favorite movies in a year, and it's killing oh, man. me. I'm gonna go watch Deep Space Nine like as soon as we hang oh, up. Oh god, I hate you. I'm gonna I'm gonna like watch some of the Klingon episodes because oh, like I've got like I'm like in the Klingon mood now. No, I definitely know what you mean. I've really wanted to watch a few of this my own self. And uh, oh, I'm gonna watch Way of the Warrior. That's what I'm gonna do. Oh man. No, I'm just trying to make you jealous. <laughs> well, if you'd say uh, you're going to watch, what is it, In the Pale Moonlight, that would really do it. That's the, uh, <gasps> it's a fake, that one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch the one where they shrink. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> there we go. I made you feel better. <laughs> Double header with rascals. <laughs> you guys, as we get into next gen. episodes, please. <laughs> as we get into next gen, you guys will realize that rascals is my, like, um, uh, Plato's stepchildren for next gen. Rascals, <laughs> while there are worse episodes, that's there are. harsh. The, That's there your are definitive bucket episode. The thing is, while there there are definitely worse episodes of Next Gen, I will not deny that. That is the one that represents to me total laziness in writing. Yeah, it's just not, and not just the kids thing either. There's so many things wrong with that plot. The, mm -hmm. Two kids and a dog take over the ship. It just it's terrible. <laughs> Awful. It's my number one episode. Oh. Ah. Yeah, thank you, little Nick. All right. <laughs> I, I realized last week I, I had a couple little quick bulletins of Star Trek news, and there were two things that I forgot to mention because I didn't have them written down. Uh, one of them, uh, as we mentioned, Deep Space Nine is is uh, at least my favorite Trek series. I think it Matt's as well. Brian, yeah. I don't want to speak for you, but... Uh, uh, it is. Okay. Uh, it is now available on Netflix streaming to those of you who have it. Um, for some reason, that was the single holdout for a while. Yeah. Like they had all the other series, and October 1st, uh, it became available, so it's up there now. For those of you who've been wanting to check it out, please do. It's definitely yes. worth your time. Yeah. And, and it's going to be a while before we get to it. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, do yourself a favor and check it out. But for those of you who are trying to follow along with us, uh, we are getting to Next Gen in two weeks, mm -hmm. and we would love for you to now Netflix or whatever watch along with us. We, we love that people are getting into the show because of us or giving yeah. it a second look because of us. That's Probably the highest compliment we can get for this show. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I that's definitely... I, I, I've been doing that, and Flunk's been doing that. We've been following along and also watching whatever we feel like, because we can. Well, sure. And, and and it's great to hear that, but you guys were already into it. There's people like our pal Scott Zioko, for instance, who was never really into Star Trek, heard us talking about it, and investigated it because we made it sound so appealing. And that... That's, that's like, awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And there's a few other people like that as well, but Scott comes immediately to mind. Yeah. That's got to feel good. Yeah, it really uh, does. It really does. Um, you, should you should have Scott on the show. Uh, we could. 
Uh, for now, I'm trying to keep it to people who are, are familiar with the show. I'm not really, you know... I, I, maybe one time we'll do, like, a perspective of the new guy thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, once we get back to TNG, we're going to be doing ones by ourselves for a while. Cause yeah. Because we have done those in, in, God, what, seven weeks almost. Uh, more than that, I think. Cause we I guess did, that's true, yeah. We, we paired up with a lot of people to... to Sort of bang through the uh, the animated series. That's right, because we ended with uh, Gav. Yeah, and Brian did the I, week before that, and I think... Uh, well, because I had the great idea that you could make the guests do two episodes. Yeah, no, that was a great idea. <laughs> but it, You're but, like, sweet, let's work! But it, 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 Matt is true, Matt is correct that uh, it's been a while since it's just been the two of us, and, and you know, as much as we do enjoy having various people on, it, it mm-hmm. would be nice to get back to basics for a bit, I think. Mm. I miss the sexual tension. Yeah. Well, we all miss the sexual tension. That's intentional, tension. right? That's That's... That's on purpose. Uh, you can't from fake one that. of us, it is. <laughs> Listen, I told you a long time ago, it doesn't have to be tense. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> uh, the other bit of news that I was going to mention last week, which isn't really news anymore, but we never even acknowledged it, is that we hit 50 episodes. And, uh, you know, little little bat packery there, I think, is. Uh, yep. Or bat, back, back pattery, sorry. Bat- yes. Pack battery. I prefer back patteries. Yes. Uh, no, I just, it's, I, um, this is more of a Matt thing cause he's way more of a comics guy than I am, but you do like the arbitrary, uh, numeric milestones and, uh, yeah. last week we didn't even a, acknowledge it. 50 episodes 50, is pretty cool. 50 is so. a big deal. Although I guess next week will be 52 and that's a full year. So yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm enjoying doing this and I hope we yeah. keep it up for a while. So I think it's good. And I think it's great that your 50th episode turned out to be Star Trek five. <laughs> <laughs> that was not by design at all. What an honor guys. Yeah. No kidding. Um, uh, one, one final thing, um, the, there are comic book adaptations of all of these movies that, um, uh, Irish Gav and I have, uh, read and done encapsulated reviews for that we will be posting to the Post Stomach Horror blog shortly. Uh, if they're not up when I say this, they will be up shortly thereafter. So check that out. Yep. And that is all. We will be back next week. So Matt, take us out. See you folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.